sometimes there are fights in MMA that completely transcend the need for titles. It's not that the stakes aren't high, they most certainly are, but what makes these fights so special is the fights themselves. The type of bouts that as soon as they get announced, you have to take a moment to collect yourself because oh my god is it almost guaranteed to be a classic. Whether it's a long brewing rivalry finally coming to a head, a highly anticipated rematch, or simply a matchup on paper that feels destined for the Hall of Fame, the 10 fights on our list today were just about as highly anticipated as any in the sport's history. And gold had nothing to do with it because gold wasn't at stake. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 massively hyped fights that didn't need a title on the line. Number 10, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. Now, just because it was hyped, it doesn't mean it turned out great. And wow, did this one turn out not great. It's in fact the reason it's number 10 on our list. Leading up to Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis at UFC 226, everybody assumed we were going to see violence on a scale unimaginable prior to these two being locked in the cage together. You had the heaviest hitters of all time, arguably, who both liked to swing for the fences any chance they got. 29 finishes between the two of them, 15 in the first round. Ngannou punched Alistair Overeem's head into orbit. It's still out there, you can see with a telescope. Lewis was a powerhouse who could take a ton of damage himself and keep on throwing. How in the hell could this turn out bad? This matchup was like the first guy who realized you should sell wings and pizza together. Of course, of course you should. And Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis are going to have the greatest heavyweight fight in history, even if it lasts 90 seconds. This was not up for debate. It was a guaranteed outcome. And then as they say in MMA, the fight happened. Ngannou was coming off his first loss in the UFC. A title fight with Stipe Miocic, and well, he didn't like losing. In fact, the fight really did a number on him so he was in a bad place mentally heading into 226. Lewis was perfectly fine in that regard, but his back was a whole hot mess. It had been a chronic issue for some time now, and on fight night it left the Black Beast essentially immobile. The result was Lewis unable to do much of anything, and Ngannou freezing up entirely for three rounds. It's legitimately one of the worst fights in UFC history. 31 strikes were landed between the two of them in 15 minutes. At least it was fun to imagine how great it would be before it happened, though. Number 9. Randy Couture versus Minotaro Noguera If we couldn't get Couture versus Fedor, this was the next best thing. Minotaro Noguera was the best heavyweight in the world in the early 2000s. 19-1 heading into his legendary showdown with Fedor Emelianenko at Pride 25. The two would remain rivals throughout their time in Japan, and when Big Dog finally made the move over to the UFC, he would be the first former Pride champion to capture gold in the promotion, albeit interim, a title he won because Randy Couture and the UFC weren't getting along so well. The Natural had resigned in the midst of a contract dispute, and once the dust had settled and all the lawsuits were dropped, Randy returned not to defend against interim champion Noguera, but next big thing Brock Lesnar. The champ would lose via TKO in the second. Big Nog, who had coached a season of the Ultimate Fighter opposite Frank Mir, he too would lose his title in the coach's bout following the season at UFC 92. With both men having just lost their titles, but both considered for a time the best in the world from their respective promotions, it was a no-brainer to put them together against each other at UFC 102. The two Hall of Famers wouldn't need a ton of bad blood or trash talk to get the fans hyped either. This was pure sport, seeing some of the best heavyweights to ever do it throw down. The three-round bout, which would be named Fight of the Year in several publications, would be awarded to the Brazilian on all three cards when everything was said and done. Wild to think this could have been UFC 100's headliner in an alternate universe. Number 8. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler It might be the only fight in history that you could almost 100% guarantee was going to be a classic the moment you heard about it. And not only did it deliver on all its hype, it somehow transcended it and is very likely a UFC Hall of Fame inductee in the future. Justin Gaethje's nickname the human highlight reel is perhaps 
the most fitting in the history of mixed martial arts. And while he was proving that in the WSOF, the world found out when he entered the UFC. Ten of the night bonuses in just nine fights. If he's not getting into an all-time war, he's putting his opponent away in spectacular fashion. Sometimes both. Imagine if he had an opponent just as game and on his level. Enter Michael Chandler. Bellator's homegrown star joined the UFC in early 2021 and kicked things off by decimating Dan Hooker before having a wild title fight with Charlie Olives. He's a certified madman. The kind of guy that would do burpees for three hours while screaming die in the mirror. Their styles. Their personas. Fans were just as hyped for their UFC 268 throwdown as the two title fights. Arguably even more. Three rounds of madness would ensue, delivering fully on the hype and earning the two fight of the night, and I'm sure plenty more accolades in the future. By the end of this 15-minute war, it was one of those fights where you didn't even really care what the judges had to say honestly. Both guys just elevated themselves to legendary status forever. Number 7. Anderson Silva vs. Forrest Griffin If there was one guy who was going to take it to Anderson Silva, it was Forrest Griffin. That's what 23-year-old me was saying to whoever would listen when I heard that the bout was announced for UFC 101. The fight would again see Silva testing the light heavyweight waters, and he would be doing so against the recently dethroned champion of the division. The Spider already had six title defenses at middleweight, he was pretty much thought of as the greatest fighter in the world at this point. Griffin more so an unlikely champion. A feel-good story, but an absolute dog in the cage, as he demonstrated time and time again. My 23-year-old logic, Silva's dominance, and Griffin's reputation really sold this fight. Anderson was so untouchable, and because of his style, it was almost frustrating to see his opponents hit nothing but air. If somebody like Forrest could just go in there and make a nasty fight, he'd have some real competition. The hype was huge. It felt like a dream matchup. Technically, it was nearly a super fight. The outcome would be one of the most spectacular displays the sport had ever seen. It was just in no way what anyone could have possibly predicted. Silva put on the performance of a lifetime looking more superhuman than ever. Dodging shots like Neo and then returning fire, the anchor punch that finished the fight against the charging Griffin, now one of the most legendary moments in the Spider's career. It may not have been what we expected, but wow, what a show. Number 6. Rashad Evans vs. Rampage Jackson The Ultimate Fighter may catch a lot of flack from fans now, but wow was it a powerful tool when it was popular. For example, the build-up to Rashad Evans vs. Rampage Jackson. The two would coach the 10th season of the show and then have a bout afterwards. They almost met prior to that when Evans was still light heavyweight champion, at UFC 98, but Jackson was forced out with an injury and Rashad would lose the title to Lyoto Machida. Kimbo Slice's massive stardom and his participation in the season of Tough met huge ratings, and as such, fans were treated to an increasingly intense beef between Evans and Rampage week to week. Treat me like a bitch, damn Rashad. Treat me like a bitch right now. Treat me like a bitch. You're in my face, call me a bitch. Treat me like a bitch right now. It felt like real bad blood, and both men were absolute masters when it came to trash talk. The hype for their eventual fight was real, but we almost didn't get it as Paige temporarily retired star in the A-Team movie. Once he returned to fighting, the two would be paired up to headline UFC 114. An excellent primetime series prior to the card only added fuel to the fire for this one. The result of all the hype was over a million pay-per-view buys, a rarity for cards headlined without gold on the line. The fight itself wasn't exactly a barn burner, though. In fact, it was pretty dull, but for a single knockdown. Evans would get the UD win in a bit of a forgettable climax, but at least we had fun along the way, right? Number 5. Conor McGregor vs. Dustin Poirier 2 and 3 It started out so wholesome and ended so, so dark. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier wanted to do a charity exhibition match they agreed upon on Twitter. Mind you, this is late 2020, Conor. He's friendly. He's a dad now. He wears glasses. He's not here to take over. He already did that. He just loves the fight game and wants to compete. The UFC wisely booked the pair for UFC 257, a rematch from their early careers seven years previous. There was much talk of whiskey and hot sauce, lots of handshakes, smiles, and mutual respect. The 
The build-up to the bout in Abu Dhabi was pretty light, but fans were still ravenous for it. This was Conor McGregor, after all, and Poirier had recently become a fan favorite over the last few years. The show brought in 1.5 million buys. After a fairly competitive first round, the Diamond put away McGregor in the second. Conor's first TKO loss ever. A massive win for Poirier, question marks for McGregor's next step, but we were moving on, right? Are you kidding me? Of course we weren't. There was more money to be made, and a third bout was put together almost immediately. This time, though, a much meaner version of Conor had come to play. This wasn't even old school Conor. This was some new form. The dude was angry and spitting serious venom, targeting oftentimes Dustin's wife. Fans weren't too sure what to make of it all, but it was still two huge stars going at it again, so of course everybody was going to be on board, at least for the fight. The third installment was an even bigger draw, 1.8 million buys. The outcome, though, bizarre to say the least. McGregor would break his leg, forcing a doctor's stoppage after the first, threatening to kill Poirier and his family in their sleep while the medical staff were working on him. Can't wait for the fourth one. Number 4. Chuck Liddell vs. Vanderlei Silva UFC 79 featured one of the most highly anticipated matchups in the history of MMA. Chuck Liddell vs. Vanderlei Silva. The best of pride, the best of the UFC. The two seemed destined to fight, and at the same time cursed to never have it come to fruition. Vanderlei was the best 205-pound fighter in the world, full stop. His 20-fight unbeaten streak in the division in pride is absolutely legendary. By the time the 2003 Middleweight Grand Prix began, he'd already been champion for two years. Liddell, who was coming off a shocking interim title loss to Randy Couture following a 10-fight win streak, was sent to Japan by Dana White to win the GP tournament and show the world that his promotion had the best light heavyweights. Sadly, the two wouldn't cross paths as Chuck was battered by Rampage Jackson in the semifinals. Silva would go on to win the whole thing, and his reign over the division would continue. But when Liddell got back to the States, he took over the UFC, winning the title in April of 2005 and defending it four times, becoming the face of the promotion. At UFC 61, Dana White brought out Vandy to announce that he and the Iceman would finally be throwing down soon. Because I want to fuck, I want to fight with Chuck here. But then everything fell apart. Silva was KO'd by Mirko Krokop, and so the proposed matchup at Pride 32 in Las Vegas couldn't take place, as per the commission. Instead, both men would lose their world titles. Chuck was then defeated by Keith Jardine. So some of the hype had certainly fizzled, but fans were still dying for the fight that finally took place at UFC 79, and the two former champions did not disappoint. Their three-round non-title fight would deliver big time. The back-and-forth battle would be a UD win for Chuck, and the bout would win the World MMA Awards Fight of the Year. It may have happened later than everyone wanted, but it still ended up a classic. Number 3. Hoist Gracie vs. Kazushi Sakuraba the fight between Hoist Gracie and Kazushi Sakuraba in the quarterfinals of the Pride 2000 Grand Prix was so much bigger than any single fight or title. It was even bigger than the growing feud between the Gracie family and Sakuraba himself, who submitted Hoyler at Pride 8, the first defeat in major competition the legendary family had suffered since the 1950s, a result that would force Hoist out of retirement so he could avenge the loss. More than all that, though, this was a battle of ideologies. It was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu versus the Japanese shoot style of wrestling, a conflict that birthed Pride FC in the first place in 1997 when Takata took on Hickson, this very same battle for the very same reason. But unlike that initial event, Sakuraba represented the greatest form of the Japanese style, and so his bow with the legendary hoist would be a chance to restore Japan's pride, the reason the promotion was called that in the first place. Then there were the Gracie family's unique stipulations for the bout. No judges, no stoppages, unlimited 15-minute rounds, only knockout submissions or throwing in the towel. While he agreed to them, Sakuraba found the rules to be ridiculous, and let it be known publicly before the fight, raising the tension and anticipation for the bout even more. The legendary showdown would go on for six whole rounds, with Gracie being the aggressor early, but ultimately succumbing over time to the more advanced hybrid style of MMA that Sakuraba practiced, forcing the family to throw in the towel after 90 minutes. It was a hugely symbolic moment for the sport, and went way beyond the expectation and hype that preceded it. 
Number 2. Chuck Liddell vs. Tito Ortiz 1 It's one of the greatest stories ever told in our sport, high drama at its best. The tale of Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz was so compelling, ESPN made a 30 for 30 documentary about their rivalry. Their first encounter would surprisingly feature no gold, but it didn't make the bout at UFC 47 any less impactful. It was a fight that was over a year in the making, but things actually went all the way back to Chuck and Tito's time together as friends and training partners. Clients of then-manager, soon UFC president Dana White. Zufa's UFC was built around star champion Ortiz with Liddell burning through seven opponents during his reign and gaining popularity. With Tito being the face of the budding promotion, it was believed that Chuck was left in limbo, as White was convinced that Ortiz would lose if the two ever fought. By UFC 40, things had come to a head, though, and Liddell was the clear number one guy. Tito, refusing to sign about, claiming that it was a money issue, would not see the cage for another seven months. The UFC, in an effort to force the bout, created an interim title fight between Chuck and Randy Couture, one the Iceman would shockingly lose. Ortiz assumed he could beat Couture and returned, only to lose his title at UFC 44. With Liddell having just had an unsuccessful trip to Pride and Tito losing the belt after a long layoff, both men needed wins and fans were ready for the score to be settled. It would finally go down at UFC 47 on April 2nd, 2004. The Iceman would swarm the former champion early in the second to get the KO finish, the first act of a rivalry that would span their careers and beyond completed. The next time they met, gold was on the line, but the outcome was the same. As far as the third bout, well, let's not talk about that. Number 1. Conor McGregor vs. Nate Diaz 2 It started with arguably the greatest call-out in MMA history. Fuck that! Conor McGregor, you're taking everything I work for, motherfucker! I'm gonna fight your fucking ass! Even if it was an absolute long shot, Nate Diaz, after a year in exile, had a fight of the night win over Michael Johnson and demanded the biggest name in the sport, Conor McGregor, who, a week before, had captured the featherweight title in 13 seconds. It was known that McGregor had lightweight ambitions, but 20 and 20 Diaz wasn't exactly the the needle mover anybody anticipated. That was, of course, until Connor's title challenge against Rafael Dos Anjos fell apart 10 days before the massively marketed pay-per-view event, and the UFC was short on talent willing to step in with McGregor in that amount of time. Except, of course, for Nate Diaz. He was down, and so was Connor. No weight cuts, the fight would be at 170, just two bad motherfuckers that fans loved throwing down and talking mad shit in the very little buildup the two had before UFC 196. The result? 1.3 million pay-per-view buys and one of the most shocking results in the promotion's history. Nate Diaz, the written-off younger brother of Nick, forced the biggest star MMA had ever seen to tap. His first loss in 17 fights. His only in the UFC. Fuck the belts. Fuck everything else. This one had to be run back immediately. Originally meant for UFC 200, the show would be postponed when McGregor, training in Iceland, refused to do any media. He was too focused on getting his win back. Now rescheduled for UFC 202, things would reach a fever pitch by the time the two fighters were chucking bottles and cans at each other during a press conference conference. All the interviews, all the media, talk shows, one-on-one sit-downs. This rematch was hyped up like the Super Bowl of MMA, and the only thing on the line was bragging rights. 1.65 million tuned in for an all-time classic, with both fighters beating the hell out of each other. One judge scoring it a draw, and two giving the win to the Notorious. The rivalry stands at 1-1 one one as of now, and no doubt a third would be high on this list as well. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page, at Ben Rosette. Huge shout out to the legendary once and future King Tomas Welsh for editing this video together. Follow him on Instagram, at BigBeatVisual. That's beat as in the band from Doug and not a forceful strike. Alright, that's all I got for you. Thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.